You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your copy of God's Word, will you take that and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to go Old Testament today. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one this morning. You'll find some Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can take one now or on your way out of worship today, and that's our gift to you. Start reading that Bible and see what the Lord does in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the full text on which today's teaching is based, is chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? God via Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, today is Family Discipleship Sunday. This is one of my favorite days of the year. Faith Church has six core values, and each summer we carve out a Sunday to talk about this second core value, family discipleship. In the month of June especially, I think, We need a healthy dose of teaching on biblical sexuality and the family. As more and more of our friends, neighbors, local businesses, and even local churches begin to fly their pride flags, we must remain committed to the teaching of God's Word. Which means we must be people of conviction and compassion, truth and love. If you sacrifice truth, then you'll fly your own pride flag. You'll become just like the culture. If you sacrifice love, you'll become disagreeable. You won't be able to have friendly interaction with anyone who's more affirming than you are. Our call as the people of Christ is to disagree with the culture on issues like gender and sexuality, but to do so without becoming disagreeable. We must be people of conviction and compassion, truth and love. Jesus never sacrificed either of them. Now today we're going to talk mostly about the truth side of that truth-love coin. We're going to talk about the family. At Faith Church, when we talk about family discipleship, this is what we mean. We believe that God created us male and female, that marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life, that understanding and application of the gospel begin at home and that the Father is intended to be the family shepherd. Because God designed the family to be the primary context for discipleship, 
we strive to keep families together as much as possible, incorporating children into worship and the overall life of the church at an early age. Now here at the outset, I want to underscore this line at the very center of that summary paragraph, God designed the family. God created the family. He has defined it, and He directs it. Congress can no more redefine the family than they could vote to do away with the law of gravity. If Congress decided to vote to do away with the law of gravity, for a while people might sense some liberation as they leaped from buildings, were flying, but nothing would change what God has decreed. Nothing would change what gravity is and does. God created gravity. God created the family. It cannot be redefined. It cannot be altered. This means, as one pastor has put it, that regardless of the language our culture uses, there is no such thing as same-sex marriage. There is no such thing. We can speak of same-sex mirage. It might look like a marriage, but there is no way to redefine what God himself has already defined, created. God created marriage. God created the family. We cannot alter it. So what is this God-created community called the family supposed to be all about? That's where we're going this morning. I want us to look at that passage in Deuteronomy that I read. Then we're going to bring in a couple of relevant New Testament texts to consider as well. And as we do, as we do so, I want us to think about three things this morning in particular. First, the priority of parents. The priority of parents. Parents, you will see this morning from God's Word that you are called to be the primary teachers, trainers, disciple-makers of your children. Not the church. You, the priority of parents. Secondly, we'll consider how we, Faith Church, how we come alongside you, how we partner with you as parents, assisting you, equipping you in these tasks that God has called you to be about. And then third and finally, because this is Father's Day, I want us to consider the father as the family shepherd. God's word calls the man of the home to be the leader, the spiritual leader of the home. So that's where we're going. The priority of parents, how we at Faith Church partner with you, parents and grandparents, and the father as the family shepherd. First, the priority of parents. Look back at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The book of Deuteronomy is largely a series of sermons preached by Moses to the people of God, calling them to be faithful, to learn from the mistakes of their ancestors, and to be faithful as the people that God has called them to be. This is probably the best-known passage in all of Deuteronomy. It's one of the best-known passages in the Bible. In fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He quotes this passage. This, he says, is the greatest commandment. The passage is known as the Shema. Shema is the first Hebrew word of the summons. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is but one true God, the God who created all things, the God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. 
and there is but one fitting response to this one true God. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, the word love here is an imperative. It's a command. The fact that love can be commanded tells us that it must be more than an emotion. It must be more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. You can't command a feeling. Here, love is a commitment, an allegiance, total allegiance to the one true God. Notice the terms that are used in verse 5. They represent different spheres of human existence from the inside out. Think of them as concentric circles. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, the heart is the deepest part of us. It would include today what we think of when we say heart and mind. We feel with the heart. We think with the heart. We act from the heart. It's the control center of the body. Love the Lord your God with the deepest part of yourself, your heart. Then, love the Lord your God with all your soul. The better translation here is with all your person, with your whole self, everything you are. And love the Lord your God with all your might. Now, we can also translate that word as resources, which certainly would include our physical strength, our might, but it would also include our economic strength, our relationships, our money, all of these resources that God has entrusted to us. And in light of what Moses says next, it would also include our family relationships. To bring out the point I want to make, we could paraphrase verse 5, something like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your family, with all your children, with all your grandchildren. Now, how do you do that? How do you love the Lord your God with all your children and grandchildren? How do you devote your children and grandchildren to God? The answer lies in verses 6 to 9. Look at what Moses says next. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Parents, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and even on your gates. It becomes clear here that Moses is talking to parents, telling us what to do with our children and grandparents with our grandchildren. Four actions are required of us, parents. Back to the beginning. Notice the four shalls. You shall teach. Teach your children. Teach them about God, God's world, and their place within it. You shall talk. Talk when you sit in your house. If teaching gets at those intentional times of instruction, perhaps around the dinner table or the breakfast table, then talking includes all the other unplanned opportunities of life. You teach when you're around the table. You talk with your children and grandchildren when you're walking along the beach. When you're on the way to school in the morning. When you're doing chores around the house. All of those are opportunities for instruction, for formation. Formation. 
two more shall statements here. You shall bind God's commandments as a sign on your hand. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. Moses speaks of us having God's commandments posted on our person, posted throughout our homes, whether taken literally or figuratively. The point here is the same. This family belongs to God. This home is set apart. Everyone can see that we belong to the one true God. It's clear to all. You see, parents, everything that happens in your home, everything, from the instruction to the conversation, all the way down to the decoration of the home itself, all of it should testify to your identity as people of the one true God. This is your calling. Your role is crucial. You are disciple makers. And when I say that, I want you to understand that being a disciple maker is not merely one more task to add to your ever-expanding list of responsibilities. That's not the way it works. So it's not get groceries, check, go to practice, check, do homework, check, make disciples, check. It's not one more item on the list. Disciple-making is your overarching calling. It's the heading under which everything falls. And when you understand that, it brings a deeper sense of purpose to even the most tedious tasks in your week. Think about it. If you understand disciple-making is your overarching calling, then all the basic things you do throughout the week now serve a spiritual purpose. Disciples need to eat, so one parent or both should go to the grocery store. That very basic task now serves a spiritual purpose. Disciples need to know how to live in God's world, how to walk wisely, so parents should help their children with their homework. That very basic task of math homework now serves a spiritual purpose. It all falls under your overarching calling, make disciples. Make disciples of your own children, of your own grandchildren. Parents, your role, it's crucial. It's crucial. But I want you to know that you're not alone. Faith Church is here to help you. We want to come alongside you. We want to partner with you in this work that God has called you to. So let's think about that secondly. How do we partner with parents here at Faith Church? First, I want to give you the opportunities that we provide for you, specifically parents. Grandparents, really any adult, but today I'm talking especially to the parents and grandparents. Three of them in particular that I'll mention. The first is what you're doing right now, corporate worship. The gathering, the in-person gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day for preaching and praise, baptism and communion... This is a shaping experience. That's why I say think of this as the weight room. You go to the weight room to shape your body. When you gather for corporate worship, God shapes your heart. You'll never prioritize corporate worship until you understand this. If you think of it as another form of entertainment, then you'll never prioritize it. Why would you? There are so many far more entertaining things to do. Go to a theme park, take the boat out, go to the beach. But that's not what happens here. This isn't entertainment, it's formation. God is shaping the heart here. When God's people gather around God's word, God's spirit works. 
gets into our hearts, transforms us. What was the first part of that great commandment we looked at earlier? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Here, in this setting, God reorients our hearts. He shapes the deepest part of us, the control center, so that you begin to feel differently. Think differently. Live differently. Parent differently. Corporate worship is the weight room that shapes the heart. The second opportunity we have for parents is connection groups. If corporate worship is the weight room where the heart is shaped, connection groups are the living room where friendships are formed. Every parent, every grandparent, needs brothers and sisters in Christ to turn to when things get tough. When you run into a tough spot in your parenting, when you just don't know what to do, you need someone to pray for you. You need counsel. Your connection group will be there for you. That's where friendships are formed, and we all need those friendships. The third opportunity is our Faith Core classes on Wednesday nights. Now, every one of our connection groups has a Bible study or prayer component to it, but the primary goal of connection groups is fellowship. It's where friendships are formed. The primary goal of Faith Core is not fellowship, but learning. Learning. So if corporate worship is the weight room and connection groups are the living room, then Faith Core is the classroom. Why do you need a classroom? Because the only way you can ever say to your child, follow me as I follow Christ, is if you are indeed following Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. If you're going to teach your child or your grandchild about God, God's world, and their place within it, then you've got to know something about God yourself. You've got to have some basic theology. So in the spring, we offered a faith core class on Wednesday nights called Knowing God. One of these days, if they haven't done it already, one of your children is going to realize that Faith Church is associated with the EPC. And they're going to figure out what that stands for. And they're going to come to you and say, Mom, Dad, what does it mean to be a Presbyterian? You need to know how to answer that question when that day comes. So in the fall, we're going to offer a Wednesday night Faith Core class called Reformed Theology. We're going to talk about what it means to be a Presbyterian. It's an opportunity for you to learn to go deeper what you believe. So those are three opportunities for parents. Parents, have you been seizing these opportunities? Have you been plugged in in these areas? If not, now's a great time. In the fall, the beginning of August, we'll have our fall kickoff. Many of our connection groups have been breaking over the summer, so they'll resume in the fall. People will be jumping back into groups. It's a great time for you to jump in. We'll be advertising our next Faith Core class in the late fall. It'll be on the website. A great opportunity for you to grow deeper in your faith. Now, next I want to talk about milestones for children and students. I'm really excited about this. For quite a while, we've been working on a spiritual formation scope and sequence for our children and students here at Faith Church, from nursery all the way to university. That's how we're thinking here, from nursery all the way to university. So if a child is born here in Faith Church and that family stays for a couple of decades, we know exactly what we're going to teach that child from the time he or she is born all the way through high school graduation and off to university or whatever is the next season of life. In the children's years, grade school, elementary years, we have our Kids Cove program 
that uses a curriculum called the Bible Project. And their children learn the storyline of the Bible, the whole Bible, the great grand story of Scripture. Then when they get into preteen years and middle school and high school, they go to the bridge and refuge. And there they use a sermon-based discussion guide that we publish in-house here at Faith Church every week. So the way that works is on Wednesday nights, those preteens and those students take the same passage of Scripture that I've preached on a previous Sunday morning, and they discuss it together. And they talk about life applications. So we're connecting the Sunday mornings and the Wednesday nights. Those are our main ongoing ministries. But along the way, from children, preteen, all the way to high school, we have four milestones that we've established and that we mark with specific gifts. The first milestone is baptism. Baptism, of course, can happen at any time, but we say ideally by age one. At Faith Church, we baptize not just a believer, but the children of believing parents. And we mark that baptism with a special gift. We give the parents a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a great foundational tool to be used in the context of family worship as that child, that very young child, grows up. The next milestone we mark is the transition to corporate worship, which happens at the beginning of the third grade year. You'll see this in just a few months. In early August, we will welcome all of our third graders into corporate worship. This is one of the things that makes Faith Church very unique. We believe that families should worship together as early and as often as possible. So at the beginning of the third grade year, we bring all of those third graders up here on the stage. We pray over them. We give them an ESV journaling Bible. Why? So that they can sit out there and begin to turn to the passage of Scripture for the day. Maybe even learn to jot down a few notes as they're listening. So they can sit with their dad and their mom. Pray alongside them. Sing praises with them. The family worshiping together. And that child beginning to learn what the body of Christ is here in this intergenerational worship environment. The third milestone is confirmation and first communion. And this happens either the fifth, sixth, or seventh grade year. We leave this one up to the parents. Our confirmation class will be taught this fall. In fact, registration for the class is open right now. So parents, if you have a fifth, sixth, or seventh grader who has not yet gone through our confirmation class, Go to faithrs.org, classes, groups and classes, and you'll see the confirmation class listed there. You can go ahead and register your child. This is a seven-week class where we take children through the basic truths of Christianity using the Apostles' Creed as our guide. And at the end of that confirmation class, those preteens stand up here on the stage and they make a more mature commitment to follow Christ. We mark that occasion, that milestone, by giving them an ESV study Bible. A Bible they can use in their own personal devotion time. And that they can carry with them throughout their middle school, high school, even college years. And then the last one and the newest one is what we're calling our Resilient Discipleship Classes. We'll teach these for the very first time this fall, beginning in August. At the same time, we're teaching the Confirmation class. This one is specifically for our 11th and 12th graders, and we're also going to welcome college freshmen into this. On the verge of a major life transition, our students need a deeper understanding of what they believe, why they believe it, 
and how in the world they're going to articulate it and apply it in a culture where so many people will disagree with them. So we're going to offer the Resilient Discipleship class for our juniors and for our seniors. We're going to do our absolute best to train them for what lies ahead. These are the milestones along the way. So this is how Faith Church is going to come alongside you, parents, grandparents. I want you to see there's nothing haphazard here. We've thought and prayed about this. We care deeply about your children, about your grandchildren. We're here to help you. But only if you're taking advantage of these opportunities that we're providing. All right, it's Father's Day. We're going to close with this. I want to close with the father as the family shepherd. Men, I want to talk to you specifically for just a moment. Ours is a high and holy calling. Ours is a high and holy calling. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, remember that you are the head of your family. That is, you are the leader of your family. But also remember that Jesus redefines all leadership as servant leadership. Jesus redefines all strength as sacrificial strength. Men, if you're like Jesus, then you will wear a crown in your family, but it will be a crown of thorns. You're not dying for the sins of your family. Only Jesus can do that. But he calls us to follow him in denying ourselves, putting our families first. Ours is an authority that bleeds for others. It's not self-serving. In the very next chapter, chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul speaks to the fathers in particular. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting, I think, that here he singles out the fathers. He doesn't say anything to the mothers in Ephesians 6. Now, why is that? Are the mothers not important? No, of course, that's not the case. He singles out the fathers because he's just made the point that the father is the spiritual leader of the home. And that means the father must lead the way in discipline and instruction. I think he also singles out the father because God commands to our weaknesses. And he knows that most women don't need to be reminded of this. Most moms will not be tempted in the same way that perhaps the dads will. To just kind of bow out when it comes to day-to-day -day instruction and discipline around the home. So Paul singles us out, dads. Fathers, you lead the way in this. Ours is a high and holy calling. But I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. A little goes a long way. A little goes a long way. Short times of prayer and reading with your children, that might last them a lifetime. It might shape them for a lifetime. A few grace-filled words given at just the right moment, that might make a lifelong difference in your children and your grandchildren. I'll give you an example of what I mean. 
I have a collection, a small collection of handwritten letters from my grandfathers and some that I wrote to them over the years. And this first letter that I want to share with you was given to me by my maternal grandfather, who we called Gran when he was still living, sometime during the Christmas season of 1985. My father had recently taken a new job and bought some land in the country and built a house for us, the house where I would grow up. And my grandfather wrote me this letter. Now, my grandfather, you should know, never served as a pastor. Neither of my grandfathers did, nor did my father. I'm the only pastor in my family. I think sometimes when I talk about this family discipleship stuff, you think, oh, that's easy for you. You're the pastor to talk about this stuff. Some of the most influential people in my life have been my father and my grandfathers, none of whom were pastors, none of whom had any formal theological training. But they taught me so much about God. They did what I call everyday theology. I want you to remember that phrase. Everyday theology, seizing every little moment to teach our children about God, God's world, their place in it. Listen to this letter that my grandfather gave me. Dear Dylan, as we all enjoy this Christmas season, we remember the many significant events you have experienced in 1985. Probably the most significant was your move to the country. How proud we are of your mom and dad in providing you a new home in an area and environment where you will be surrounded with the beauty of God's creation, the woods. The woods will afford you a vivid picture of God's presence as they change colors with the seasons. You will also come to appreciate the woods as a home for many animals and birds. One of the events in your life this year was to watch the construction of your new house. As you grow older, you will learn that much of the material used to build your home came from trees found in the woods. As a constant reminder of God's beautiful woods and what they mean to our existence, I want you to have a gift from me this Christmas, your first axe. By the way, I was two years old. <laughs> the axe is a tool when used properly, it can transform a large tree into a piece of lumber for building a house for shelter. One thing you must never forget is that the axe can be a dangerous tool if not used properly. Never try to use your axe unless your dad is present to help you. He will teach you, and in time, your axe will become a useful tool in your hand. Merry Christmas, and always remember I love you, Gran. Everyday theology, seizing every little opportunity to teach our children, our grandchildren about God, God's world, our place within it. I've got one more I want to share with you. This one's very short. And this one is not from my grandfather. This one is from me to my other grandfather. I share this one not because of its rich theology, but because it was a good memory. Judging from the handwriting of this, this, the original of this one, I was very, very young when I wrote this one to my other grandfather who we called Paul Paul. Dear Paul Paul, I am writing you this letter because you can't always hear what I say. <laughs> I have put some money and a poem at the bottom of this page for you because I love you so much and because you're the best grandfather any kid could ever have. Love, Dylan. P.S. Use this money for your hearing aid. <laughs> When that letter turned up pretty recently as my parents were going through my grandparents' keepsakes, 
Jamie said, well, I guess you've always been a smart, and I won't finish the sentence, what she said. <laughs> Everyday theology, seizing every little opportunity to teach our children and grandchildren about God, God's world, and our place within it. So men, let me leave you with these three categories to think about. I want you to think about milestones, meals, and moments. Milestones, meals, and moments. The milestones, those significant spiritual events that I talked about earlier. Baptism, confirmation, resilient discipleship. Men, you should be leading your family in those directions. Also think about meals, intentional times of instruction. The breakfast table, the dinner table, whenever you can gather your whole family together for a little bit of scripture reading and prayer. And then the moments of life, those unplanned opportunities. Be available for your children, for your grandchildren when they come to you with questions. Our children will have questions. We want them to know that it's safe to come to us. Far better to come to me, son, than to go to Google or one of your friends. Be available. Bodie Bauckham has a book called Family Shepherds. Here's what he says to the men. The family is the cornerstone of society. The family is the cornerstone of society. And it has been said that as goes the family, so goes the world. Well, men, I'm here to tell you, as goes the father, so goes the family. The role of men and their families is so important that God honored it by conferring upon us his very own title, Father. Father. Men, we are the governors and guides of our families, and the way we lead has far-reaching implications. Let's pray. God, thank you for the wonderful privilege and the responsibility of being a father. This morning, I pray for all of the fathers, the grandfathers especially in the room, that you would empower them with your spirit that you would guide them with your word so that they can then serve as governors and guides for their families. It is only when we ourselves are following Christ that we can say to our children, follow me as I follow Christ. So I pray for the men especially today. God, work in hearts, shape hearts, work in families for those families that are in need of healing today oh God I pray that you would work in wonderful and powerful ways there are some who need to forgive there are some who have been trying to lead but not as Jesus leads there have been others who haven't been trying to lead at all God, convict us where we need to be convicted. Comfort us with the beautiful truth of the gospel that, Lord Jesus, you have died for all our sins, all our failures as fathers. And when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us. So we do confess to you this morning we have failed. There are no perfect fathers among us.
God, as we recommit ourselves today to our families, to loving and leading the way you have called us to, we ask you to give us the strength we need this day and each day. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, 